Welcome everyone to Imperfect Leaders. We invite the country's most powerful leaders and ask them to be totally vulnerable and share their wisdom, their life lessons, and their practical advice. If you want to join our community of imperfect leaders and are truly committed to continuously leveling up your leadership skills, check us out at www.imperfectleaders.com. Until then, sit back and enjoy today's show. We all know and love today's podcast guest, Josh Flagg, from his 13 years starring on Bravo's hit show, Million Dollar Listing. Josh has always been an old soul and wise beyond his years. And on today's show, we talk to Josh about his unique and inspiring journey in his brand new book, The Deal, which is chock full of practical advice and funny stories. And in my opinion, this book will soon be required reading in universities and business schools across the country because of its focus on negotiations, leadership, and life. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. So my wife told me in no uncertain terms, uh, Jeff, I want our son to turn out just like Josh Flagg. She really said that. And mind you, our son Luca is only one year old, so he's got a way to go. Well, I could I, I don't know if you really want to make that mistake and have your child end up like, yeah, I think my parents would probably disagree with you or you're we'll talking 10 years and see how that works out for you. I, I probably turned out the way I am probably just from being around. So we, I was always around older people. I, I don't know why I always had an affinity to older people. I don't know what it was, but you know, I didn't have any friends that were my own age. So that kind of shaped me and the way I am today, like even still today, like, you know, my closest friends are you know, in their seventies. I mean, my closest friend in the world is Candy Spelling. It's, you know, she's, so it's- Tori's mother? Tori's mother. And Tori is one of my close friends too. And so anyway, uh, childhood was, uh, I guess I was always very precocious as a kid, you know, and I guess like maybe that is my parents' fault if you think about it. I don't know. They always, and my grandmother too. Like I was very close with my grandmother, but you know, for instance, they, I would be going to the museum with my grandmother or my parents when I was a kid. I would be going- you know, we'd have for dinner, it wasn't like pizza and hamburgers or whatever. It was like steak tartare and with, uh, you know, and, and we'd have a, a great bottle of wine or maybe like caviar with potato or boiled potato, like things like that. Like it was just, I didn't have interest in childhood things because I really didn't have a childhood. It was, it was, I don't want to say I didn't have a childhood. I mean, of course, I learned how to ride a bike and most of that, and, but I wasn't interested. You know, I, I played soccer. I was so terrible at it. I kicked the ball for the wrong, in the wrong direction. Terrible. My teammates were really upset. The other team was very happy. <laughs> but did you even know what caviar was? Did you know what you were having at an early age? I mean, or were you like, what the hell is this? It tastes terrible. No, I loved it. I had it and I, I, I just thought it was the best thing ever. And I was obsessed with it. And I know you have a special relationship with your grandmother, mother, Edith. I mean, what, what was she like? And what did you learn from her? Oh, I mean, she was a incredible woman she was a force of nature my grandmother was um you know it's like you shook her hand and you knew that she was in charge like uh you know she could make you she could say one thing to you and she could make you know you could be six foot tall and she could make you feel like you were three foot tall like she could really put you in your place in one second and she had this you know she was such a tiny woman but yeah she had this real like she you know she just commanded respect and people gave it to her because they knew how great of a person she was and what she did for people mm. in her lifetime. She really was very selfless. I mean, and she never did anything for, you know, to get her name on a building or to, to you know, she didn't do it because she wanted the people to know she did it. She didn't because she just cared. You know, she it was so funny. What was, uh, 
you know, I remember like at the country club, she would go there all the time. And I'd say, oh, you, who are you having lunch with today? Uh, she goes, oh, I'm not having lunch with anybody. I'm going there to bring, uh, to, to bring um, something, I don't know, like a, a chicken she made or something like that to the, to the staff at the club. She would go there and she would like, oh. feed the staff. And I would was say, she the only one doing that, I imagine? Of course. Like, yes, of course. Who does that? I mean, she would always say things like, you know, oh, that woman is that that woman over there is a total bitch. I go, why? She goes, oh, she's but every time I see her, she says, let's do lunch. That lunch, still waiting for that lunch, you know. Like she's she's the most insincere person on earth. You know, she she was in World War II. She fought the Nazis, hmm. uh, killed a couple of Nazis actually. Oh. Uh, just a really remarkable woman. And then she came to this country with two dollars in her pocket. And what do you think you took away, you know, and, and learned from your close relationship with Grandma Edith? How much time do you have? You know, the, 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 it just goes on and on. It's just, she just taught me to be very authentic, I guess. She just taught me to just be myself and, and not really care what people thought and, and just do my own thing, which I was what I do, I guess. And so, again, my son, Luca, he's one. You know, we just dropped him off at preschool for the first time. And uh, he, I, I don't think he's going to stay in there. I mean, didn't you try to break out of preschool your first day? I mean, looking back, were you wildly independent even back then? Yeah, I think I did try to break out, I, and I actually got in. Uh, what did I do? Um, no, that was another time. I remember my mom picked me up, and I spilled like an apple juice on the carpet of, of the of her car. So I asked her to. Uh, I asked her. She got out and threw it to throw it in like a trash can on the side of the road or whatever. And I got in the driver's seat and pushed it in reverse. And then there was a kid walking right by that I almost ran the kid over. <laughs> and what about Cotillion? So I'm a Jewish kid, and I grew up in Kentucky. So I used to go to Cotillion and I, I used to hate it. How many Jews are there in Kentucky? When I left, the population went down by about 50%. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Did you like Cotillion? Did you like that kind oh, of I stuff? Loved it. I loved First of all, I loved, I loved to dance, but I mean, like ballroom dancing. I loved that. Um, I just loved everything about it. Like I was very precocious as a child. Like I, I, I would be, I would be so happy to go and, and do classes on, on manners and table, uh, maybe not manners and, and ballroom dancing. That stuff was great for me. I didn't want to go and play football. I, I'm really excited to talk about this book, your new book, The Deal. Uh, and you've written three books now. And I was telling you before we hopped on, I've written one and that was tough enough. And I don't understand at all how you have the time to do these things, but you did. So why'd you decide to write this new book, The Deal? And what do you hope people get out of it? Well, I mean, frankly, I just, over the years, I've read so many of these books on real estate, you know, these, you know, how to books, uh, this is how you sell a house and this and that. And they're always so boring. And I just thought I've been doing this for 18 years and I have so many great stories. Why don't I just write a book using all the examples of my career, which when you sold hundreds, if not thousands of houses, I mean, think about all the stories. So I went through my list of houses that I've sold over my career with my assistant Hillary, who I've had for nine years, went one by one and went through all the stories. And we took like the best hundred stories. And through my, these stories, I, I will teach people how to be successful um, at their job or their career. And, and you can really take home. It's not just about real estate. This is how to be successful, period. It gives you so many strategies and tools and, and but they're funny. And there, it, it does a lot of humor in the book and there's, a, and they're informative and they're, real life examples that people can relate to. And you had your one time arch enemy on million dollar listing, Josh Altman, actually write the intro to this book. I sure did. I asked him to write the intro. He was more than happy to do it. He, uh, we're very, very close friends and he knows me very well. And I thought, uh, 
well, what better person to write my intro than uh, than him? So he was happy to do it. Yeah. And it is, is a little healthy competition good? I mean, does that raise everybody's game? Sure. I mean, we're very competitive, Josh and I, but we have a handshake agreement that if we go on the same appointment, you know, that we both will co-list it together to share the deal. We, we have a very healthy relationship and, and we have a lot of respect for each other. He does a lot of things that I can't do. And I do a lot of things that he could never do. Amazing. And what do you hope people will learn from reading this book or how do you want to inspire them? What If you're getting into real estate, I think that if by the time you read the end of the book, if you can't relate, then at least you'll be able to figure out this is not the career choice for you, or this is exactly what I want to do. So that's, I guess, in terms of real estate. But, you know, I guess it just kind of puts into perspective for everybody um, how easy or how hard things are in life. And, and, um, and it does it through a lot of, a lot of humor. In my opinion, negotiations, not only important in real estate, but for every single industry and especially for anyone who aspires to be a successful leader. So again, let's talk about some of the practical time-tested funny lessons in the deal. Uh, so first talk about the mindset, you know, what is the right million dollar mindset and why is it so important? When a client is talking to me or I'm trying to gain their business, my mind is 100% focused on that client. I'm 100%. If somebody calls me, I don't take the phone call. I don't say, oh, hold on one second. I want that person to feel that I'm the only, that they're my only client and that they're the only uh, thing that's important right now. Mm -hmm. I believe that they just, they want it, they trust, they trust you and they want to work with you because they know that you're going to focus on them 100% completely. I mean, is that something that most real estate agents or most people do or that they don't do? No, I don't. I see it all the time. Like I'll see, I'll, I'll be sitting at dinner with somebody or, and they'll immediately just, you know, pick up their phone or I'll be, uh, I'll watch. Uh, no, actually I, I don't. I don't think people get that. Yeah. I mean, I know people that no matter what, whenever I talk to them, no matter how important they are, they make me feel like I'm the most important person in the universe and, or that I'm the only person. And it seems like you do have that gift. Is that something that you've always had or had, did you have to practice it over time? No, I've always had that. And it's also important because like, you know, there's so many nonverbal cues that you'll get from study bot, but you know, for its body language, you know, if you're focused, if you're, if you're on your phone or you're not focused on, on the, on the client, you're not going to pick up it and you're not going to hear the message. And if you listen to them, what they're saying to you, and you actually listen and ask them questions, almost interrogate them. They feel like, whoa, this guy really w wants to know what's best for me. He's not just talking and telling about himself. He's really listening to what I have to say. And another thing that I saw on the table of contents is up your attitude. What does that mean? Well, attitude is very important. I mean, you got to have a positive attitude and you can't be a negative person. You got to, I never say no to a client, for instance, you know, it's everything is yes, it's positive. Or I'll say if, if the answer is no, like say you want to buy a house, two and a half million dollars and and your budget's two, but there's a house that's available for two and a half million. I'll just say to the buyer, look, I'll submit the offer. I, I don't think it's going to work, but I won't say no to them. I'll never say no. I'll just say, I'll leave it in there for it and let them do what they want to do. Let them see how it works out. And then, you know, once we get into the deal, you know, and, they, and the sellers counter back at probably two and a half million, maybe the buyer will budge up a little bit, but I won't just say no, and then we don't give it a try. Why do you do it that way? I mean, it kind of reminds me of Jim Carrey, the yes man. Doesn't that get you in trouble sometimes? No, because I have nothing to lose. They'll get it. If I say, no, I'm not submitting that offer. That's ridiculous. Then they're going to just think I didn't try. They're going to think that it's my fault. And how often do you have to play the psychologist in your role? I'm, that's, I, I am a psychologist. I mean, 
a husband wants to buy a house, the wife wants to buy another house, they're fighting. How do you, you know, you, I'll just say, guys, cut it out for a second. This is what you want. This is what you want. No one's going to get the perfect house. Everyone's going to have to give a little bit here. Let's compromise. What's, what's something that you guys can compromise on together? And then we'll try and find, identify a house that meets both of your needs, but it's never going to be one way or the other, or your marriage is not going to work out. Does that happen a lot? All the time. I do this all the time. So I see, you know, what works and what doesn't work, but you know, you don't, most people don't buy, you know, more than one house in their life or they, they don't buy several houses. So they don't really know what works and what doesn't work. The other day I had a house in, in, uh, in Beverly Hills, a $20 million house and the two sisters could not, they were fighting over and over again about the two sisters inherited the house from the mom. It was a $20 million house and they were fighting about this offer that came in. One said it was too low. The other one said they wanted to take it. And they were literally at each other's throats in the kitchen. One of them first, once I picked up a kitchen knife, I swear to God, I go, oh, fuck. I said, no, it's not. <laughs> I said, God, stop it. Your sisters, you've been friends for, you know, what, uh, 65 years. Uh, this is absurd. You guys are fighting over money. Like, we're going to get through this. You'll be done and your relationship will be repaired. In the meantime, put down the kitchen knife, Karen. And I guess because it's for them, it's such a huge emotional decision. It's a lot of money for most people when they buy a house. I've seen a lot of strange things over there. How about the time I sold a house and they had the, they, uh, they uh, included the buyers wanted to buy this house and they included the dog in the purchase price. They liked the dog. Huh. That I said, I told the sellers, they said for the right price, we'll get rid of the dog. Is that true? I swear to God. So know your worth. What's that mean, Josh? And what are you worth? Uh, I don't know what I'm. Because uh, I haven't looked, I haven't looked at the stock market recently. Don't believe me. Don't. I'm glad you didn't look at it before this interview. You would not be in a good mood. I never look at my portfolio because what's the point? I can't do anything about it. So what's the point? Everything returns anyway. So what's the point? Do houses return? Absolutely. If you're buying a house though, and you plan on being there for ten years at least. What's the difference? You may pay a little bit more money for it. Look, I'm not saying let's waste money. Let's try and get the best deal possible. But don't let that stop you. If you can afford it, don't let that stop you from buying your dream house because it's going to just be worth double in 20 years anyway. But I mean, is now a good time? And I'm sorry to get off the lessons of the book, but is now a good time to buy houses even with higher interest rates? Yeah, I guess you have to ask yourself, well, you could say interest rates are rising. So would you rather have a lower monthly payment and buy right now rather than wait and pay a higher payment? Or would you rather feel on the house? So my philosophy is I'd rather have a lower interest rate payment because yes, the houses are, the house prices are falling, not tremendously, but they are falling. So yeah, you may pay a little bit more money now, whether you wait a year, but you, would you rather have a double the payment on your interest rate every month? So that's the way I look at it. No, that makes sense. And, but getting back, what does it mean to know your worth? I mean, I know what I'm worth because, um, like when a, when a seller will ask me to reduce my, my, my commission, I'll say no. And then they like, they're like, whoa, he's taking up for himself. I'll say, look, you can hire another agent that'll do this for half the price, right? But you're going to get what you paid for. You're getting really good service and you're getting, you're going to have, you're going to end up with more money in your pocket by working with me than if you work with some guy who's going to take it for half a percent that just says yes to everything that you, it doesn't know what they're doing. What, what about pricing a house? I mean, how do you figure out, you know, obviously the seller's coming to you with this big high price. What it, is there an art and science of figuring out what a house is worth? Yeah, but it's also emotional. Like, for, look, the first step is you 
look in the neighborhood, you see what houses, forget about what's active, forget about what's on the market. Houses that are not sold are not comps. So you can't figure out what your house is worth by just because your neighbor says, you know, they want 4 million for their house. Great. If it's worth two, that's just what they, they wanted. It doesn't mean it's what, so whenever clients say to me, well, I see the house down the street, so I'm listed for X, Y, Z. I say it's irrelevant. It's only relevant if it's sold. And so, yeah, so you look at, and you, like when I sit down with a client to tell them what their house is worth, I, I'll show them the comps, I'll show them what's sold, I'll go through square footage of the land, I'll go through square footage of the house, et cetera. And then uh, I'll also just, you know, from doing this for so long, I know emotionally, I instinctively, I can walk in a house and I can tell you what it's worth. I know, I know my stuff, right? And I know it better than, than most people. A lot of agents will like look at the comps and wonder, and I'll think to myself, like, that's, how are they copying this house with this house that they don't even apply? One's on the corner, one's not on the corner. One is backs up to a busy street. The other one, you can, that's not a comp. And people just have to know the market and they have to know the area to really do that well. And I think I have an advantage because you know, I was born and raised here. So, you know, I look at things a little bit different. So million dollar listing, were you on from the very beginning? Uh, I started season, I'm the longest, I'm the Youngest cast member, but I'm, I've been on longer than anybody. I've been on for four, uh, for 13 or 14 seasons. Can you tell us about, you know, maybe one or two failures that really stung? Um, no, because if I fail at something, I forget about it, move on to the next. I don't dwell on it. What would you say to people who watch the show and say, that looks so easy. You know, I could do this job and make a ton of money. Keep in mind, this is an hour of TV divided by you know, the amount of cast members, you're, you're only, each cast member is only left with like 15 minutes between commercials and stuff. So we don't have time to like, you know, you don't see every single facet of a deal. It's just not enough time for it. So, you know, it might look easy because we're, we're highlighting, you know, the ups and the downs and, and whatnot, but we're not, you know, you're not seeing like the 3000 phone calls that you're getting from the client, you know, uh, in between when we're filming, like, you know, you're, you're, we're not covering that. If somebody works really hard, it reads your book. Could they become the next Josh Flagg? Absolutely. Any? No, that's not true. You you can, yes, if you have it in you. Some people are just not, some people don't have it though. And what, what is a, it? You say it, what is it? It is, you'll find out when you read the book, you'll, you'll get it. I can't even put it to words. It is just read the book and you'll, and you'll understand what it is. But, the, but what I was going to say was a lot of people are not meant to, be real estate agents and they don't know that they think, oh, great, I'm going to get my real estate license. I'm going to make tons of money. Well, it doesn't really work that way. And what about all these billionaire clients? I mean, are they as quirky or eccentric as they seem on TV? Do you like dealing with them? Depends on the person. I, it, it depends on their attitude. Like, you know, a lot of times I won't work with somebody if, if they're just a complete jerk. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to put, I won't put up with their shit. So you'll say no. Yeah, absolutely. I'll say no when it comes to be, you know, being abused by a client. That's that one time I will say, no, I'm not going to have these screaming clients just because, you know, if they have to have things done their way, I'll, I'll, no, that, that I won't put up with. And, and you said you make people feel real comfortable, like they're the only person in the world, which is great. I mean, do you treat a, a client that's going to buy a one or $2 million house the same way you would treat a billionaire? Of course. Cause I, how do I know? I, I, I that person Buying a one or two million dollar house might refer me to a, a billionaire that, that that is buying a house for ten or twenty million dollars. Yeah, if you if you accept a client and then you have a big conflict with that person, how do you deal with that? Or do you have an example of that? I had before. Yeah, there was one client that was totally abusive. I just screamed at him back. Yeah, I just gave it back to him. But I never worked with the guy again. I just couldn't. He was so ridiculous. I just said, "This is absurd." 
So he really screamed at you. Yeah, and I screamed back at him. <laughs> I, that, sounds, that sounds worse than the night fight with the two sisters. No, and he liked it. It was interesting. He wanted to continue working with me because he realized that I wouldn't put up with his shit. And I said, eventually, I said, no. And, and I mean, you know, Josh, you look so calm and in control, and you always do. Um, what is going on through your mind, especially like when you have really tense situations? I mean, do you ever get nervous? Um, not nervous. No, not really, because no, I don't, I generally don't get nervous. I mean, what's to get nervous about? I mean, if you don't get the deal, you move on to the next deal. And what about people or advice? You know, a lot of people that are going to read your book will get nervous. You know, what advice do you have for them for keeping their shit under control? Keep calm and you can carry on. I mean, just keep calm and realize that it's not the end of the world if you fail and you don't get the deal. You, you there's an, always another deal around the corner. Mm. You don't know where, but it'll be there. What about hardcore introverts? You know, half the population are kind of introverted. Uh, should they just avoid real estate like the plague or can an introvert become a good real estate agent? Yes, I think so. I, I think so. It depends. Like there's, I, it always surprises me. Some, I, so many different you know, characters that sell real estate in this business. And I sometimes can never figure out how they're so successful. But I think that if you have it in you, 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 you anyone can sell real estate. No, not anyone. I think certain people are good for selling real estate. Certain people are not. You have to understand. You have to. You have to be a psychologist mostly to be a good real estate agent. I think that's the most important thing. I think you have to be a good psychologist, and I think you have to know your stuff. I think you have to know the market. You have to know the inventory. You have to know everything about every single house. You know, I can walk down the street and tell you every single house who lived there, what they paid for, what their social security number is. I can tell you everything. Yeah, I hate when when I hate these agents that are like car salesmen, and especially because I. I know that every trick of the trade. So when I'm showing a house and a buyer, buyer's coming through with their agent and I just watch them, I'm like, oh my God, well, how do these people work with this guy? I just, I know every trick in the book. So I, I'm just like, I'm watching. I'm like, really? Are these people falling for this? Or this is no way. Do you have time for a quick lightning round? I'll just ask you some quick questions. Sure. How many hours a night do you sleep? Four to five. You have TV cameras following you around 24 seven, Josh. Is there anything the world doesn't yet know about you? Um, I'm uh, actually quite in, uh, an insecure, uh, insecure person deep down. What's your favorite TV show from the seventies or eighties? Columbo. Columbo. What's your favorite place to visit outside of LA? The South of France. Where? Hotel Ducat. Selling real estate a job for your destiny. Destiny? I know you're not a parent and you may never want to be a parent, uh, but what's one piece of advice for if you, that you have for me if I really do want to raise my son Luca to be the next Josh Flagg? Take him to museums. Josh Flagg, you're a brilliant negotiator and a gifted author, and I can't wait to read your new book, The Deal. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining everyone. To share your thoughts about this episode or questions for any of our guests, you may join our community of imperfect leaders striving for greatness at www.imperfectleaders.com. You'll then have access to all past episodes, special content, and invitation-only roundtables with the country's most successful leaders, business school professors, and executive coaches. See you next week, everyone.